great. You can tell the uh, passing of the seasons by going to the supermarket. I'd forgotten that it's Pancake Tuesday and a week on Tuesday, but I was reminded by the, the whole aisle of pancake mix and lemons and syrup. Uh, I'll refer to that later if you're wondering where that's come from. Uh, if you turn in your Bible to, um, to Romans chapter 8, please. Yeah. Hermes just mentioned something to me. I do apologize. All the women who are heading off for the Women's World Day of Prayer this Friday, uh, I got the month wrong. It's the 1st of March. Not the... Not this coming Friday. Right. I don't know why. I panicked this morning when I saw the poster. You'll remember it more now, won't you? <laughs> but if you do turn up on Friday, don't blame me because I've told you now. Sorry. That's all right. Bibles, there we go, uh, to Romans chapter 8. We're going to pick up in verse 14. There are certain portions of Scripture that I love going back to time and time again. I love the whole Bible, but there are some bits that I just profoundly love because they're just amazing. And this is one of them, chapter 8 as a whole, but from verse 14 onwards. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we, all, we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those, of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be condemned, to the conformed, conformed to the likeness of his son. Just checking you with me. <laughs> that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. 
What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Wow, what a lot. Many, many thoughts. We're in our vision statement, and we are working through what it means to be part of the church, what we believe God has called us to. And we're in particularly this theme of of praying for revival, but under this broader banner of being a prayerful people. And we've looked at the Lord's Prayer. We've looked at some of the prayers Jesus prayed. We're encouraging each other in the journey of prayer to to maybe begin again, to be re-encouraged. And I wanted to, to focus on this passage this morning because sometimes when, when we talk about prayer, sometimes prayer can be reduced or it can be heard to kind of, well, the list of requests that we have. Phil challenges on that last week. It's not just that. Other times we can be reminded that, that we just stop in prayer and, and we be quiet. Again, that's an important part of prayer. But in often teaching on prayer, that we can so get caught up on the how-to that we miss the why. I'm urging us to do it. The how, let's do it. But this passage gives us a little bit of a glimpse Well, a wonderful insight, and I'll try and give you a little bit of a glimpse through what I say. Into the why of prayer. Prayer is a gift. We know that Jesus prayed. If you read through the Gospels, you see again and again, Jesus was a person of prayer. You get that, don't you? And we're called to be his followers, and and part of our encouragement is that for us as a church to be praying for revival, it's part and parcel of us as being a prayerful people who are understanding who we are in God and responding to that privileged relationship by praying. You get that? Good. But also, as I I reflect on it, I, I was kind of drawn to Paul as a prayer. You know, Paul is is often the one that he's the the missionary who plants lots of churches. Yes, he is. He's the one who teaches great truths about the redemptive history of God and and the predestination and being chosen, all those great theological themes. Yes, he does. But as I was reflecting a little bit on praying, I was reminded so much of the punctuation of Paul's letters is couched in prayer. Prayer. Isn't it true? He says, again and again, I'm praying for you, dear church in Ephesus, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, or I'm praying for you uh, in the struggles and the sufferings and the persecution. I'm praying in this and that. I'm praying that you would stand firm in God again and again, the heartbeat, the lifestyle, the characteristic of Paul is prayerfulness. It's not just Jesus very clearly Jesus, but Paul as an apostle, Paul as a leader, Paul as a man of God, 
founded his life in prayer. I think it's perhaps a little bit underestimated. And in this chapter in in Romans 8, speaks so much of, of gospel, speaks so much of the mighty work of God, and it also sheds light on praying. Not necessarily the how to, but the why. Now, I'm going to say a word in a minute, and I bet you, prove me wrong, I bet you when I say this word that I can see the lights go out in a number of people in the congregation. Because you're thinking, oh, this is beyond me now. You're thinking, oh, this is just too much for a Sunday morning, Edward. You're thinking, this is in the realm of theological colleges and the great august theologians of the past. Who am I? Are you ready for it? On the edge of your seats. I'm watching your eyes to see if the lights stay on. So much of what Paul has understood and what he declares to us about prayer is in, in the context, and here's the, here's the phrase, of Trinitarian understanding of God. I'm looking at the eyes. There's that word, Trinity. Oh my goodness, it's beyond us. It's beyond fathoming. He speaks of the privilege of prayer to the Father through the Son with the Holy Spirit. The why of praying. We heard it read. He said, but we're called by, led by the Spirit of God in verse 14. The Spirit doesn't make us a slave to fear, but you've received the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Remember, Jesus taught us to pray, our Father. Again and again in the Gospels, only one reference where Jesus doesn't pray, Abba. And that's the cry of dereliction on the cross. When he's saying, my God, why, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? So much of his, his prayer is Abba, Father. And Paul says, we're called into that same relationship, Abba, Father, because we've been adopted, chosen, predestined, called to that. But then, notice, he also talks about how we are to pray through the Son and the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. I was thinking a little bit about this. If, you know, the nature of these, these topics is sometimes they're a bit hard to grasp. So forgive me if that's the case. I'm trying my best. Um, these are deep things. I was, I was imagining, a, sometimes we think of praying as a bit like a boardroom in that we can have understand there's God and he's in charge of the universe and he's mighty and awesome. And there's the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and they're kind of sitting around the table and they're doing their running the universe and upholding it with their mighty power and the word of the Son and through the power of the Spirit. And we kind of think in praying, it's a bit like, oh gosh, can we interrupt them? They're a bit busy, aren't they? I was talking to a young person this week and they were saying, oh, why are we praying for someone's headache? There's a lot bigger things in the world to, for God to be interested in than the headache. It's kind of like that mindset of, oh gosh, who are we to go up to this great boardroom in heaven and knock on the door with our puny little insignificant requests? God's too busy. God's maybe too caught up in the greater things. But that's not what Paul says. He says the privilege of the gospel, the good news, is that we are invited to interrupt. 
More than that, we're not just distracting, we're invited to pray. That our prayer life, that this journey of praying, it finds fullness of expression in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. And brothers and sisters, this isn't just the preserve of theological students. This is our inheritance. This is our birthright. This, Jesus says, this is, or as Paul says, this is what it means to be heirs. To understand, if we can, some of this. See, when we pray, we're being caught up, not just into a dialogue of prayer, but a trialogue. What does that mean? The dialogue, the interrelationship, the loving communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Do you remember when you're baptized? What a, what a, what's the promise or the words that are spoken over you when you're baptized? Can you remember that? scratching their heads. It's drawn from Matthew 28, verse 19, just a little clue. It repeats itself in other places. But we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a reminder uh, that, that Jesus actually is saying at the end of, of Matthew's gospel, that as we are called into faith, into relationship again with God, It's through the initiative of the Father, through the work of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we're caught up into him. We're not outsiders down the corridor of the boardroom. We're caught up and embraced and welcomed and included. We are in him. So also in prayer, we are in him right now. And as we pray... We are in him, praying to the Father, with and through the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself teaches us our Father, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. But Paul takes that on a little bit more and says, it's not our own initiative that we get to learn that. It's through the work of the Holy Spirit. What does he say? Romans 8, 15 uh, to 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you again to sl- a slave again to fear, but you received, brothers and sisters, you, if you fo- trusted Jesus, you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, say it together, Abba, Father. That as we pray, it's the part of the very work of the Holy Spirit that enables us to utter In faith, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That this name that Jesus takes, our Father, Abba, is Jesus' own self-referencing to his Father. Father, Daddy, Abba, the fatherhood of God is the glimpse, the snapshot, the invitation to us to relate to God In the way that he does. Father. Now immediately in this discussion, there's always that problem of of where do we start? Now if you you spend any time at all thinking about this, you sometimes, or talking about this, or reading around this subject, you get the questions of can, can we call God mother? Can we address God as mother? Why is it just father? 
you get the whole kind of discussion of saying, well, I don't like talking about God as father because my father wasn't the best. How, you know, we, we understand father so often through the lens of our experience. Whether our dad was absent or strict or harsh or indulgent or spoiling so often when we hear, we're called to pray, Abba, Father, we, we hear that through our experience of our own fatherhood, that which we have done or that which has happened to us. And in some ways, we do understand the bit, but more profoundly, says Paul, actually we understand the Father through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit because he reveals to us he, what true fatherhood is. Is like. How can I explain that a little bit better? Well, it's the name that God gives to us, Jesus gives to us, that lets us know what is like. If we want to define fatherhood, we describe it from God first, not really from our own experience. Imagine if I said to you, I met a, child, I met a young person a few years ago and his name, bizarrely, was Hatred. Can you imagine naming your son Hatred? No, you can't. But I met this young man whose name was Hatred. I, I was like, really? And obviously there was a reason for that. But if I said to you the name Hatred, you, you'd begin to think of words associated with that. What's that boy like? Is he angry? Is he vengeful? Is he aggressive? Is, he, is his life characterized by pain? Well, no. He's not actually. He was a lovely young man, full of grace and, uh, and just a joy to know. But so often the word hatred brings with it a whole load of baggage that we, we begin to kind of lay on to because that's our prior understanding. And that's what can happen when we call or we just think of God as Father from our own experience. Actually, fatherhood should be described by getting to know the person, and Jesus reveals him. Do you see what I'm saying? That when we say, Abba, Father, we're saying, this is what God is like. This is, if we want to know what fatherhood is like, we look at Jesus and his relationship with his father, and that begins to describe for us. Think about it like this. In Ephesians 3.14, Paul says this, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He describes fatherhood. And so the implication of that is I'm very happy to say to you is we call God, we relate to God, we pray our Father. I know what people are trying to say by saying, our mother who is in heaven. But it's defining God's fatherhood by a mistaken understanding of human parenting. To say, my parent, my dad was so austere, and my mum was so nurturing, the characteristic of God as love means I would rather relate to him as mother than father. It's the wrong end of the stick. Because it's not starting with God and Jesus who gives us the privilege to say, Abba, Father, by the Spirit. 
God isn't austere and distant. Just look at how Jesus relates to him, talks to him regularly, listens to him, is directed by him, is motivated by the will and the purposes of God. That isn't some, some strict, some aloof, some distant, some overindulgent parent. That's true fatherhood. We pray to the Father. The kind of father that he will be to us is the kind of father he has already shown himself to be to Jesus. Let that reimagine your thinking and your praying. Our Father. Praying with the Son. We pray to the Father and that God the Son enables our praying. Chapter 8, Romans verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Question. Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Intercession is, is amazing. Jesus intercedes for us all the time, constantly, moment by moment. He prays for us. He's praying for you right now. Dietrich Bonhoeffer described intercession as this. Intercession means no more than to bring our brother or sister into the presence of God, to see him or her under the cross of Jesus as a poor human being and sinner in need of grace. But Jesus intercedes for us. He, he constantly has his in mind, recognizing that we are weak and frail, and cries out to the Father, brings us to the Father, into the very presence of God. That in every moment, I want you to hear this, we have a divine companion, Jesus, who is praying on our behalf, in all the mystery and wonder of what it means for the Father and the Son, to be eternally loving together, that the Son constantly intercedes for us, brings us into the Father's presence. When I was in India a few years ago, I was teaching in the Bible college in the day, and as in the nature of India, sometimes things are sprung upon you at the very last minute, and you don't know what's going to happen. So I'd been teaching all day, and it was kind of hot. It was very hot, and I'd, you know... Deodorant only lasts so long, if you get my drift. And, and I was tired, and I was a bit grubby, and it's dusty. And anyway, Prem, who was, uh, I was with, he said, come on, Edward, we're going, we're going to a wedding. And I was like, really? Are we? He said, yeah, we're going to a wedding. We've been invited to a wedding. And I was like, I'm, I don't know who it is. He said, it doesn't matter. I'm taking you. I said, I'm, I've, you know, I just got, you know, I hadn't got anything posh on. And I hadn't got a gift. And I was like, what's it going to be like? Anyway, we, we turned up and Prem stopped at the shop and bought a gift. And I was like, really, can we go? And he said, yeah, so we can go. And we, we turned up at this great kind of, they have these like gardens, they call them, where the weddings took place. And it was a spectacular affair. There were hundreds of people there. And I was the only white person. And I was like, oh my goodness. And there, right at the end of the gardens, was this kind of platform, this dais with, all, with the bride and groom sitting in all their regalia. And, and it was quite a well-to-do wedding. And they had a, like this 
bunch of people videoing it, but it wasn't just like Uncle John at the back with his little VCR. It was, it was like a proper boom rig, and there were different camera people all over, and everyone was dressed in their finest saris, and there's me smelling a little bit at the back. And I was like, I just felt really out of place. I didn't know them. I had no gift. I, you know, why was I there? Anyway, we sat at the back, and all of a sudden, the, the, kind of, the father of the bride at the front saw Prem and me at the back and said, come on, come to the front. I'm like, what? I thought we were just going to pay our respects and then we'd just depart. But no, we were kind of like, right, it was like as far away as the open door. We were like trotted, walked up to the very front and I was sat on the front row. And the video, like, and the video cameras all panned to me and I'm like going, they're going to watch this video and think, who's that gate crasher? But as I sat there and watched what was going on, I realized that I wasn't there for any merit of my own, but because Prem knew them, and he kind of ushered me in because I was with him. And when everyone got up to greet the bride and groom, I was like the third person to greet them. They were like, oh, hi, thanks so much for coming. I'm going, I don't know you at all. And they're like, oh, it's great you've come to celebrate our wedding. And I reflected and I thought, it was because, because Prem was invited. I was a guest of Prem. I was with Prem. And I was drawn right to the front. And I just got that little glimpse of, of Hebrews, which picks up this same theme, that we have a great high priest who welcomes us through his work to the very throne of God. Not because of my merit or my position or my status or anything that would be any merit of my own, but because I was with and because I'm in Jesus, I'm drawn to the Father through the Son, with the Son. Hebrews says it like this in seven, chapter 7, verse 24. Because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus prays for us. So often when we think of prayer, it's we start with ourselves. I want us to think of prayer starting with him. That on the cross, Jesus takes upon himself, he substitutes himself for us. That in that dying, we'll remember it in communion, he shoulders all, his broken, all our brokenness and all our sin. And in offering himself, he overcomes evil entirely. That on the third day, the Father raises Jesus from the dead and affirms in that action that this self-identifying love of Jesus come amongst us, dying for the sins of the world, the love of God is stronger than the accumulated and crucifying evil in the world. That's good news. And as he's raised to life again, Jesus intercedes for us. Which means that by God's mercy, all God's healing power and guidance flow to those through whom and for whom he prays. It's so encouraging. Why? You see, when we fall silent, when we run out of words to pray... He prays. He prays for us even when no one else does. 
And even when we've stopped praying for ourselves, he prays. He intercedes. He holds us in the very presence of God. Remember in Luke 22, Peter's just said, I'll go with you, Jesus. I'll never abandon you. I'll never betray you. I'll, you know, I'll go all the way with you. And Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon. But your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. What stands between Peter and total shipwreck isn't Peter's pledge of loyalty in which he says, I won't give up. But actually in the intercession, the prayer of Jesus says, I have prayed for you, Peter, that you should not fall. That Peter is saved by the intercession of Jesus. You know, in our prayer life, we all have collapses and denials where we've pledged boldly and gone forward in meetings and stood up and said, I will live for you, Jesus. But there come times when we collapse and we deny. It may be more secret than it was for Peter, but it happens. There might be a time of illness and depression when that flourishing prayer life that we once had seems nearly impossible. So we say, please pray for me. I don't know, can't pray myself. There may be days of disappointment when something we've eagerly sought from God hasn't happened. That illness we dreaded has happened. That bereavement we asked to be spared for has come. That we've been left confused. And for a moment we're in that deeply questioning state. Maybe we're just angry or disillusioned that God who promised so much seems to have delivered so little. That all the doors as we cry out seem in heaven to be slammed in our faces. And it's easy in that moment to fall silent and distant. But know this, that at those times, our names and needs are still being presented faithfully and tirelessly by Jesus to the Father. He prays for us in the dark night that our faith will be revived. I hope that blesses you and encourages you. We pray in the Spirit. Very quickly. What the Son does for us in interceding, the Spirit does too. Remember that phrase that we, we said and we say at the end, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the What does that mean? Fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Does it just mean like a you know a casual equation? We've got fellowship here in our church, we're gonna have coffee together later. That's fellowship, isn't it, Christian fellowship? No. It's something far more profound. It's the word koinonia. It means to kind of draw in, to be included, to share and to participate in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of Lord of the Rings. That first book talks about the fellowship of the ring. It wasn't just that Frodo and, uh, and Gimli, and I'm struggling for the names now, of the, uh, Aragon and all that lot. You know, they were just kind of like, oh, how we'll just journey together for a bit and then... Actually, there was something about they committed to one another in this fellowship. They would journey, carry each other's burdens that they would share in profoundly. And it begins to catch a glimpse. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 
In the Spirit, all that belongs to the Father and the Son belongs to us as well. What is theirs becomes ours. John 16, 14, he will bring glory to me, the Holy Spirit says Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That not only is God saying, come, come children, know me as Father, through the Son who makes the way and intercedes, but the Holy Spirit within us intercedes constantly within us too. More than, than tongues, but sometimes those are the groans and the, the, the prayers that we can't really find words to say. More than that, that deep longing, that perfect prayer that Jesus offers in heaven is prayed deep down within us, within us in the hearts of his praying people, that the Holy Spirit within us cries out to God on our behalf. We have continuing contact with God. Prayer is a gift, not a task. We don't start from our own resources, but the Holy Spirit brings to us, and helps us in our praying, that we join in. That our praying is perfected. Prayer of the Spirit is perfect, says Paul. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That as we pray, we join in in this gift and say, what is it that you are praying, Jesus? What is it that your Holy Spirit is praying within us? Can we begin to pray it likewise? The good and pleasing and perfect will of God. You know, we may be praying the wrong thing, but don't let us stop you. Start to listen again. What is it, Father, that you're praying through Jesus, through the Spirit? Changes our perspective. And the prayer of the Spirit in us echoes the prayer of Jesus. You know, we'll be able to hear the voice of the Spirit in a Romans 8 type sense in our hearts when we listen to the voice of Jesus in the gospel. What do I mean? Your will be done, your will on earth as it is in heaven. What's that will? Well, it's revealed in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit prays alongside and implants and imparts and intercedes and, and it happens in accordance with what he's already given. We know Jesus better the more we know the will and the mind of the Father. Reading scripture and praying are like two hands or two Sides of one coin. How do we know what the Spirit is praying within us? Because we understand what Jesus is like and what Jesus does and how he relates to his Father in the world. How do we know what that is like? We read the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit takes that and applies it and says, let the kingdom come in these ways because they've been described for us. I've got a few here, just, just a little idea. I talked about pancakes earlier. Trove Tuesday. I've got two little reading plans, one from John and one from Matthew, starting on Ash Wednesday, Wednesday the 13th of February, day after Pancake Day, Trove Tuesday, and going all the way to Easter Sunday. A daily reading just to read to the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew. And in that journey to be saying, Jesus, teach me to pray. Holy Spirit, show me what it looks like. In our praying, remember, it's a gift and a privilege. It's awesome. In the name of the Father, 
through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Blessed be Abba Father who loves us, hears us, and answers our prayers. Blessed be Jesus, the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us once on the cross and now offers himself on our behalf before the Father. And blessed be the Holy Spirit of God, who draws us into the intercession of Christ and prays with us his perfect prayer in our hearts. If you found no words or you've lost words, he's praying that we would not fall, but live as his children. How do we know? Because as he broke bread, he looked to the Father and gave thanks and broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the pouring out of his blood, represented in the pouring out of, his, of the cup, he said, this is a new covenant. No longer slaves to the law or slaves to fear, but freed to become sons Adopted heirs in the kingdom. And I pray, Jesus, for us, just in these things of praying, we don't understand everything. But I pray that you teach us to pray and remind us that you intercede. That when we've lost for words, you carry on. And right now into our circumstance, right now into this world, your kingdom come. Jesus, forgive us where we failed. That was so much part of your your last supper. As you shouldered the world's sin. Forgive us. Set us free and restore us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come amongst us. Empower us again. We break bread and remember. We break bread and give thanks. We break bread and see in this simple element purpose of God being worked out. Jesus making the way. Jesus setting wrong, setting right the wrongs. We're going to pass the bread round. Please break a piece off as it comes. If you uh, would like gluten-free bread, we have a roll. If you just raise your hand and the server will come and bring that.
Thank you. 
We thank you, Jesus, that in that glimpse in the garden as you wrestled with the enormity of the Father's will and your desire to fulfill that, possible let this cup pass from me yet not my will but yours be done thank you father Abba thank you Jesus thank you Holy Spirit that you made the way for us costliness we dare not sit lightly with with sin and thinking oh it doesn't matter but as you prayed and as you sought strength even to the point of shedding sweat like like blood for us such love such passion as we remember and take this cup we, we return our love to you that you first loved us while we were so far away and now we're awed and humbled to share this meal and say thank you we love you and we're grateful so so grateful more than words and we offer ourselves in, in every way to live for you living sacrifices conform us to you of the world pass the cups and as an act of fellowship together we'll drink as one please hold on to them and we'll drink together